Okay, let's stand, please, uh, out of reverence to the word of our Lord as we look at our passage for this morning. And uh, as I mentioned to the kids, I'll be uh, be preaching this morning on Luke chapter 24, 13 to 27. But uh, to keep the, the context, I'll go all the way to verse 35. Luke 24, 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And he stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was going to be the one who would redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women from our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and they did not see his body. They came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer, these, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is now toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at table with them, he broke the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us, and well, sorry, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of our Lord. May he write its eternal truths upon our hearts for his glory and for the building of his church. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit, please help us to behold the risen Christ in your word. Help us to behold the risen Christ with the eyes of faith. Help us to see how all of the scriptures point to Christ, his life of obedience, his substitutionary death, and his bodily resurrection from the dead. Help us to see him in his glory. Help us to anticipate his return. For we pray this in his matchless name. Amen. I love road trips. One of my favorite things is to pack up and head out with a couple of buddies, or now with my family, and head out on the road. Though thanks to Jane, the snacks are a lot healthier than they used to be. 
But as much as I enjoy traveling with friends and family, there's one person I would rather take a road trip with than anyone else. I would love to take a road trip with Jesus. In fact, I would love to have been able to take this road trip with Jesus, the one presented in our passage this morning. Jesus has been on the road with his disciples pretty much since the beginning of his earthly ministry, since back in Luke chapter 4, but especially since Luke chapter 9, when Jesus turned and set his face toward Jerusalem and towards the cross. Jesus has been journeying with his disciples. The, the journey has dominated Luke's gospel account. But now with his journey to the cross behind him, Jesus takes one more journey with two of his disciples. Before his journey to heaven and, and before the cloud takes him out of their sight. There are 12 appearances of the risen Christ in the New Testament, and four of them are recorded for us in Luke's gospel account. This morning we'll see the first, and the next week we'll see two more, and the fourth in, in subsequent weeks. And once again, we see Luke's brilliant narration. It's, it's through the eyes here of two humble and yet otherwise unknown disciples, possibly a husband and a wife. The light begins to dawn on the reality of the resurrection. And, and I don't know about you, but I can easily imagine myself as, as one of these two disciples on this road with Jesus. But you and I are, are blessed with, with insider information. We, we know what these two disciples don't yet know. As this journey with Jesus begins, th these disciples can't see Jesus even though he is right there before them. He begins to open their hearts and to open their eyes through the word of God. And I've often wondered what, what Jesus specifically said to them and what passages Jesus went to as he opened the scriptures to teach the disciples the things concerning himself. I think I can safely say this is one of my, one of the top 10 events in the scriptures that I would have loved to have been personally there to see. And you didn't see it personally. I didn't see it personally. But you and I can see it for ourselves through the testimony of God's word. You can see the, the risen Christ for yourself through the faithful testimony of God's word. But like was true for these, at least initially true for these disciples, some here are, are listening to the message and can't see Jesus. They can't see Jesus even though he is right in front of them. Friends, Jesus is right here in front of you. Can you see Jesus? Look to the word of God so that you can see Jesus through the eyes of faith. Luke skillfully presents verses 13 to 27 as phase B of the revelation of the resurrection. Last week we, we saw in verses 1 to 13, the, the women and then Peter at the empty, sorry, 1 to 12 rather, um, the women and Peter at the empty tomb. That was phase A. Now here in phase B, these two disciples see the risen Christ, but they don't recognize him as the risen Christ. And this then leads to a crescendo in verses 28 to 35 as these two disciples finally recognize him as we're told that he's appeared to Peter as well. That leads to another even higher crescendo with his appearance to the 11. And then another still higher crescendo with 
with his resurrection, or rather with his, his ascension. And with Christ's ascension, we actually have also Christ's commission to the disciples that they are going to be witnesses of all that he's taught, and especially witnesses of his resurrection. It leads the disciples on a journey from, from unbelief to belief and then to action on that belief. It's the journey towards the revelation of Jesus and who Jesus really is. It's the journey of realization of what he is calling them to do, of what he is calling us to do. The end of this road seems near at the end of Luke here, but, but, the, but the action is going to be taken up in Acts. Luke's second volume, commonly referred to as the Acts of the Apostles, but, but really more aptly entitled the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And the, the plan is for us when we finish Luke, we're going to, going to do a short series on spiritual gifts, and then we're going to pick up in Luke volume 2 with the book of Acts. So again, this morning we're going to see Jesus' first appearance as recorded in Luke. In verses 13 to 16, Jesus appears to two disciples. And in verses 17 to 24, Jesus questions the two. And then in verses 25 to 27, Jesus answers the two. So with the eyes of faith, let us see the risen Christ in his word. Verses 13 to 16, Jesus appears to two disciples. Verse 13 picks up the narrative exactly where he left off. It's that very day, the, the first day of the week, the first Lord's day, the day that the Lord rose from the grave. The first resurrection Sunday. Now for some reason here, the ESV does not include the word that's translated behold, but, but I think it's appropriate. Most of the, the modern translations have the, the word behold. It's, it's in the original language. It's to behold. It means look, stop and look. Take note of, of what is taking place here. This day is indeed something to behold. And, and what's happening is that Luke is linking this with what has just taken place in verses 1 to 12. With the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ giving way then to the empty tomb. And Luke is going to do this repeatedly in his passage. Two of them, we're told, are going to a village named Emmaus. And in this context, two of them, these two of them were among all the rest from verse 9 who didn't believe the women's testimony about the risen Christ. They're on the road to Emmaus. And, and nobody knows exactly where Emmaus was, but Luke tells us that it was 60 stadia from Jerusalem. That's around 11 kilometers, or about a two-hour walk from Jerusalem. But their physical location, is, is, uh, the physical location of their de destination is not what's important. More importantly, this is a journey towards the revelation of the risen Christ. And so as they walk, they're talking about all these things that have happened. This is the, the second reference linking this narrative with the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Luke is bringing all these things before our attention yet again. And so they're, they're talking about the death of Jesus and they're talking about what the women had seen and about the empty tomb and about the angels and about Peter's testimony of the empty tomb as well. You know, one of the best things that you can talk to is about the cross and the empty tomb. One of the best things you can talk to people, believer and unbeliever alike, and is to talk to them about the, the cross and the empty tomb. But at this point, the disciples are not fully aware of the meaning. They don't really understand what the, the cross and the empty tomb mean. So make sure if you're, if you're going to be talking to others about the cross and the empty tomb that you're fully informed, that you, you really know what you're talking about. 
And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Now, we can't be exactly sure what is happening here, but, but, but again, we're told that Jesus drew near and walked with them along the road. Now, to my understanding, what, what's happening is that, that Christ in his glorified body is, is able to appear and to disappear and to be able to, to veil his identity. We're going to see that happening in this passage. It's exactly what Luke does here, what Jesus does here. And Luke, Luke testifies to it that Luke now heightens the anticipation by giving the reader, us, the inside scoop, telling us that it was Jesus, that he has truly been raised from the grave, but the disciples' eyes were again somehow kept from recognizing him. So here was Jesus right there in front of their eyes, but they didn't know it was him. They had eyes, yet they could not see. And this, this amplifies their, their present lack of faith. Their, their lack of awareness as to who Jesus is is, is actually a living parable. It, it actually shows us that they have a, a spiritual lack of awareness as to who Jesus really is. We're going to have to wait until next week to see the curtain uh, pulled back for them. But now in verses 17 to 24, Jesus now questions the two. Jesus asked them, what is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? Now, wouldn't you expect to, see Jesus, to have Jesus say to them, hey, it's me. It's me. Wouldn't you expect Jesus to, to lay it all out right there in a full sermon and, and explain to them all that has happened and what it means? Well, I expect Jesus to do that because that's what I would do. I, I would... I would dump the whole thing on a person just right then and there. As soon as I get the opportunity, I would just lay it all on them. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus wants to know what they're thinking. And it's not that Jesus doesn't already know, but he wants, he, 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 he has compassion on them. He sincerely wants to draw them out and to get a full, to, to, for the, even for them to understand what's taking place. They come to some of those realizations by themselves. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I don't know about you, but but I can learn from this. You see, when somebody asks me a theological question, my tendency is just to just to roll it all out, and it's it's like trying to drink from a fire hose. And maybe that's happened to you. Next time, if I do that to you again, please just do a a timeout and say, "Hold on, slow down, go back to the beginning." Because I have a tendency to do this. And maybe, maybe you, you tend to do that as well. It's far better, I think, many times to, to, to do what, what Jesus does here. To, to show the person that you genuinely care for them. That, that you really, and as, as Pierre mentioned, actually, at our, our men's breakfast, during our prayer breakfast yesterday morning, he says to ask them their story. And ask the person, what is, what is their story? To, to get a sense of 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 what they're thinking and what their understanding is, and then you can, can really, you can really tailor make your response to them. So it's, it's really important sometimes, oftentimes, to, to close your mouth and to open your ears. Then, then again, you'll be far better equipped to be able to answer the person to get a, and to get a sense of where they're at. It's, it's not a, a one-size-fits-all approach, but, but I think we, we, I, need to be careful to, to try to do that, just to slow down a little bit. But again, Jesus asked them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And with grief-stricken looks on their faces, they stop walking. 
They just stand there. They're obviously overcome with emotion at what has taken place. They're in anguish, but and their anguish is obvious, but, but Jesus' identity is still hidden from them. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answers him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? So we get one of their names. One of them, Cleopas, is, is the only place his, this disciple is named in the Bible. And interestingly, his name means glory to the Father. But again, you notice that, that it's, the emphasis here is on these days, what has taken place on these days. So he asks Jesus, again, are you the only visitor who doesn't know what's going on on these days? Cleopas asks Jesus if he's the only one who doesn't know. But actually, Jesus is the only one who does know. They're shocked at Jesus' apparent lack of awareness, but the lack of awareness belongs to Cleopas. The disciples did not really know who is with them. They don't really know what has happened, and they don't really know why it's happened. They didn't really know who Jesus is and, and what he's come to do. Now, they might have known some of the details and, and some of the external details, and even some of the biblical details, but they didn't know all the facts, and they didn't know all the implications of those facts. Now, this is, it's, again, this is something you think about this. Maybe, maybe, maybe you can outline some of the details in the scriptures as to who Jesus is and, and what Jesus came to do. But maybe you don't really understand what it, what it really means. And maybe you haven't taken the, the meaning of these things into your own heart. Maybe you have not yet trusted Christ, have not yet received Christ personally as your Lord and your Savior. Or maybe for you, it's willful ignorance. You do know who Jesus is and you do know what he came to do, but you don't want to know. And it's evident in the fact that sin characterizes your life. Listen carefully and may God open your eyes. May your awareness unfold. May you become one of his disciples, a fully informed disciple. Jesus picks up on the, on the, the things that have taken place and asking, asks, what things? So in verses 19 to 24, the disciples now provide a summary of Jesus' ministry, of his death, and of the, the testimony of the empty tomb. And this account not only points, points the reader to who Jesus is, but the repetition of, of recent events emphasizes what has taken place. But as of yet, Jesus' true identity and the full nature and meaning of his ministry is not yet fully revealed, as his identity is still hidden from these disciples. Now, the disciples here are on the right track. In terms of that they're reminiscent of Jesus' own mission statement for back in, in Luke chapter 4, at the outset of his ministry in, in Nazareth, they describe Jesus as a prophet mighty in deed and word. So let's just go back for a moment, back to Luke chapter 4. Now, notably here, Jesus, this is the beginning of Jesus' formal ministry. And notice that he's in Nazareth. And, and in, in, so in verses 18 and 19, he, he opens the Isaiah scroll in the synagogue and reads from Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, and Isaiah 58, 6. The, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, 
because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus there goes on to describe the ministry of the prophets, Elijah and Elisha, saying, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. And then when Jesus speaks of the, of the prophet's ministry to Gentiles, this is Jesus' own hometown, that the people drive him out of the city and try to throw him off a cliff. As they're, as they're treating Jesus like they treated the apostles. So again, the disciples are on the right track, but they, they hadn't yet followed far enough down the road on the track. They, they have a limited understanding of who Jesus really is. Jesus is a prophet, but Jesus is not just a prophet. Jesus is the prophet. Jesus is the messianic prophet that, that, Matthew, that Moses rather spoke of in, in Deuteronomy 18.15, that the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from among your brothers. It is to him that you shall listen. So that the great prophet Moses is pointed to an infinitely greater prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ, to his prophetic office is the Messiah. But the disciples did not recognize the, the magnitude of Jesus' prophetic office, nor did they understand that what the, the people's treatment of the prophets really meant, or did they expect that Jesus would be treated as those prophets were treated, but far worse. They did not understand that, that like so many of the prophets who had gone before, of God's prophets who have gone before, that, that Jesus, as the archetypal prophet, will be rejected and suffer and die before being glorified. And, and all the treatment of the prophets before Jesus pointed to the sufferings of Jesus Christ, the messianic prophet. So they're, they're still on the right track they're, in saying that Jesus is mighty in, in deed and in word. Jesus performed miracles. He cast out demons. He, he calmed storms. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. But the disciples did not understand that as glorious as those miracles were, the miracles were not ends unto themselves. The, the point of Jesus doing these miracles wasn't, wasn't just to perform a miracle. It wasn't even just to help people. That the miracles pointed to the fact that he has power and authority as the Messiah. The same is true for his word. Jesus preached sermons that are unrivaled in the history of sermons, especially unrivaled in this sermon. But Jesus doesn't just proclaim the word. Jesus is the word. He's the word of God incarnate, John 1.14. So Jesus was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, but but the, the disciples continue, the chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and to be crucified. Despite what, the, the, despite what Jesus did, despite all of, of his, his mighty miracles, despite all of his, his powerful preaching, the truth of the word of God, despite all of his prophecies, all who he is, the Jewish authorities condemned and crucified him. And notice here that the disciples don't point to the Romans who carried out the crucifixion, 
but they point to the chief priests and the rulers who delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. So, so the, the, the Romans did the deed, but the blame ultimately falls on the Jewish authorities. And again, this lines up with Jesus has said about himself in, in Luke 18, 31 to 33. And taking the 12, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. Again, the disciples were on the right track, but they didn't go far enough down the track. Because Jesus didn't finish there. He finished verse 33 by, by clearly saying, And on the third day, he will rise. On the third day, he will rise. But in verse 21, the disciples say, but what we had hoped, that he was the one who would redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. So the religious leaders hoped to kill Jesus, and their hopes were fulfilled. But the hopes of the disciples were as yet unfulfilled, and they were quite different from those of the religious leaders. But even these disciples had set their, their hopes far too low. Jesus is the Redeemer. Isaiah 41, 14, and just a host of verses. Fear not, you worm, Jacob, men of Israel. I am the one who redeems you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Jesus is the Redeemer. Jesus is the fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy back in Luke 1, 68 to 71. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and, that the, and the hand of all who hate us. So the disciples thought that Jesus was going to redeem them or to deliver them from Roman captivity. Now Jesus did come to deliver them from captivity, but from a far more powerful and far more cruel oppressor than Rome. They're missing the scope, and they're, they're missing the, 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 the scope of, of Jesus' redemption. And they're missing its breadth and its depth. The disciples do not understand that Jesus can fulfill his mission of redemption after his death. But just because Jesus died does not mean that his mission has died. They don't understand that, that Jesus came to redeem people from every tribe and tongue and nation. That Jesus came not just to redeem Israel, but to redeem people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. Know that you understand that Jesus came to redeem people, again, not just from, from captivity to political bondage, but to delivery from spiritual bondage. They should have understood. The disciples should have understood that the scriptures are clear. Now, by the time we get to the end of the chapter, their eyes will be fully open. Verse 47, repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. But for now, their understanding is still veiled. So as their understanding of his person was limited, so was their understanding of his mission. They, they were looking for Jesus to redeem. That's good. Redemption means to, to pay a price or to, to purchase someone from bondage. So Jesus came as the Redeemer. But prior to the death of Jesus on the cross, no one would have understood the cost. 
No one would have understand, understood what redemption would cost. No, no one would have understood to whom the debt of redemption was owed. So to whom did Jesus pay the price of redemption? You know, some would say that, that Jesus paid the, the price of redemption to the devil. But Jesus did not pay the price to the devil. Jesus paid the infinite redemption price of his own life to Almighty God. God the Son incarnate purchased his bride, the church, before Almighty God from their guilt, from their debt that they owed to God for their disobedience, for their sin, for your sin and for mine. So Jesus Christ is a prophet, but he is so much more than a prophet. Jesus Christ is mighty, but he is so much mightier than they knew. Jesus Christ is the Redeemer, but he came to do so much more than simply to redeem Israel. So I wonder, do you have a, a partial understanding of the mission of Jesus Christ? Do you think that, that Jesus came as a wise teacher? Do you think that, that Jesus came as a good person? Do you think that Jesus came so that you can have happiness and success in this life? 1 Corinthians 15, 19 says, if, if in Christ we hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Jesus came to deliver his people from captivity to sin and not just for, his life, for this life. His goals were far, far greater. The fact that the disciples even now say that it's, it's the third day since these have happened highlights the fact that Jesus' own prophecies are true and highlights the fact that they don't yet believe them. Right? They're testifying. It's the third day. They're using Jesus' own words. And especially that one of the angels that reminded the women in Luke 9.22, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Again, there's emphasis here on the, these things. In verses 22 to 24, the, these disciples recount what took place in verses 1 to 12, that of the, the women's arrival that morning at the empty tomb and the, the testimony of the angels to not seek the living among the dead and, and the, the and the other and the, the testimony of the other apostles who went to look for themselves, but also found the tomb empty. They had seen so much, but they had not seen Jesus. So these disciples were, were amazed, but they were not yet convinced. Their eyes were not yet opened. They, they were still doubting, but, but wonder was beginning to creep in. Again, they, they could have just, just reached out and touched Jesus. They could have, as Joseph did, they could have just asked, who are you? But their eyes were blinded. They hadn't seen the evidence that was right in front of their eyes. They hadn't seen the evidence that was right there in the scriptures. And Jesus is about to open their eyes. But even as he does, they're, they're, they're still not going to realize it, at least not quite yet. So verses 25 to 27. Jesus answers the two. So Jesus opens with a sound rebuke. A sound rebuke that is much more severe than what the angels had said to the women. The women were told merely to remember, but Jesus calls these disciples foolish and slow of heart. 
Now, they're, they're, he's not just insulting them. They're, their foolishness was a, a spiritual foolishness. They're, they're unwilling to use their mental faculties to understand. And their hearts followed their dull minds slowly. They, they needed to be transformed by the renewal of their minds, Romans 12, 2. But we need to be careful here not to judge the disciples by the middle of the story. They're about to have their eyes open, though again, we're going to have to wait until next week to see it. Jesus continues. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Yes, of course it was necessary. Jesus repeats the terms of the angels in verse 7. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise. Now granted... It's paradoxical to our human thinking, but given the testimony of Jesus, given the testimony of the angels, given the testimony of all of Scripture, they should have known. They should have known that it it must happen, that Christ must suffer these things and then enter into his glory. The sufferings of Christ were necessary. God's sovereign plan must be fulfilled. But let me just tease this out a little bit. Of course, God's will must be done. Right? We know that God is sovereign. But the fact that, that when Jesus says that the Christ must suffer, there, he's saying something else that, that very, very important. The sufferings and subsequent glories of Christ were not God's arbitrary plan but are in accord with his holiness and his justice. Without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sins. Again, God's justice must be fulfilled. Christ must suffer and enter into his glory. This also accords with God's sovereign plan. It accords with with God's faithfulness and, and God's immutability. He and his plan cannot be thwarted. They cannot be defeated. And so Christ fulfills the justice of God in experiencing the wrath of God. But he also displays that the love and the mercy and the grace of God in, in dying in the place of sinners like you and me. Jesus is going to repeat this in verse 44. These are, are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law and the prophets, the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And so the root of the disciples' problem and the root really of of all of those who will not receive, believe and receive Christ is the failure to consider the whole Bible's teaching on who the Messiah is. Failure to submit to the Bible's teaching of who Jesus is, who the the Messiah is and what he came to do. Now these disciples had, had understood to a degree, but they did not understand all that the prophets had spoken. They had believed in the glory of the Messiah but not in the sufferings of the Messiah. They, they had, to those who have, have eyes to see and hearts to believe the word of God is clear. 1 Peter 1, 10 and 11. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So the prophets in the Old Testament understood in, in shadows and types, but, but they did not understand the, the, understood the fullness of what Christ came to do. And, and these disciples 
here on the road to Emmaus still only understood partially what was what would have happened. But but if they had opened up the whole scriptures and considered the whole of the word of God, they would have seen clearly that all of this must take place. So now in verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So he's beginning to open their their eyes. He's beginning to to open their hearts. And and his rebuke earlier had opened the way, the door had paved the way for revelation, for this revelation. Jesus here speaks of, of Moses and the, the prophets and, and all the scriptures. He, he's saying here that, that the entire Old Testament points to who he is and what he came to do. Now, obviously, in, in, in a two-hour walk, he wouldn't have time to to explain to expound all of the Old Testament scriptures. But but I, I often wonder, what passages did Jesus go to? Where where did he teach from them? And it, you know, perhaps it was explicit prophecies like in Psalm 22 or Isaiah 53 or, or countless other explicit prophecies? Or, or was it an exposition of God's work in, in delivering his people? As you can see, it takes place through, through the, the whole uh, story of redemption history in the Old Testament. Was it, was it beginning in Genesis 3.15 where the, the seed of the woman would, would crush the serpent's head and, and he would himself have his heel bruised? Or was it in the Abrahamic covenant where, where, where God put Abraham into a deep sleep and, and then God and in, in the, the fire pot and the smoking firebrand walked through the, the middle of the animals that had been slain while, while Abraham slept saying that what God was saying is I will fulfill both ends of the covenant. That if I break the covenant, may what happened to these animals happen to me. And this is fulfilled in Christ as, as Christ suffered, as, those, as, as he was slain for the sins of his people. Could it have been the, the Passover? The Passover lamb and the blood put on the doorposts. And that the destroyer passed over the, the homes where that blood was, was placed as the, the people had, had eaten the sacrificial lamb. Was it, was it in King David and, and his, his suffering? Even though he was the king, he, he suffered under the wicked Saul. He suffered under, under, the, under the, the rebellion of his own son. Was it in the message of the prophets and the, the treatment that the prophets experienced as shadows and types that pointed to the sufferings of Christ? Again, you can, you can trace a, a line through the whole Old Testament that, that points to Christ. John 5, 39. Jesus rebuke. He said, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. A failure to understand scripture leads to a failure to understand Christ. Leads to a failure to understand the cross. But as we draw to a close here, we're, we're still waiting for, for phase C, for these disciples to recognize Jesus. Have you encountered Jesus on the road without even knowing it? Are you, like these disciples, hanging around on the edges of, of who Jesus is? Do you have a, a lack of awareness of the person and the work of Christ? Well, and what is your awareness limited by? Well, it's not limited by the Word of God. 
Because the scriptures are clear. Jesus Christ is a prophet, and, and more than a prophet, Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. He is the prophet, the priest, and the king. Jesus Christ is, is God the Son in human flesh. Truly God and truly man, though sinless, he died a sinner's death so that all who place their faith in him will receive new life in him. This is testified throughout the whole scriptures, so all the way from the beginning of the Old Testament and all the way through to the end of Revelation. You have seen Jesus. You have seen Jesus here again this morning in his word. And you have seen Jesus in those who are gathered here this morning as you see the effects of faith in Jesus in their lives, as he has changed their lives through the power of his spirit to, to make them be more conformed to his image. You have seen Jesus, but do you recognize Jesus? Do you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Again, you've seen Jesus in, in others here in this church who are, are showing faith in the midst of trials, who are overcoming sin and temptation, who are showing hospitality to strangers. May God give us eyes to see. May God give us eyes to see that we are on the road with Jesus. May he lead us in paths of righteousness for his namesake, like we read earlier in Psalm 23. Now Jesus is not here to open the scriptures for us, but he gave us his Holy Spirit to help us to see him, to have faith in him, and to know that we are, in fact, walking with him. Let's pray together. Almighty God, once again, we pray that you would, through the power of your Spirit, open our eyes and give us hearts to see Jesus. Help us to behold him in your word. Help us to behold him in the lives of others who are walking with him. Help us, Lord, to, to behold him for who he truly is and, and all he came to do. And help us, Lord, not just, just to receive these things as, as facts, as abstract truths but as present spiritual realities that, that are vitally important for us, not just to believe, but also to receive. Give us all eyes of faith. Help us to see Jesus. Help us to receive Jesus and to worship him as our Lord and our Savior. We ask this in his precious name. Amen.